Kindred Bravely came to life in 2015 by Deanne Ackerson, a mom of two, when she couldn't find any comfortable or functional pajamas while nursing her second son. So she decided to design her own, which led to what is now one of Kindred Bravely's best-selling pajama sets, the Davy Nursing and Maternity Pajamas. For all our pregnant or nursing mama listeners out there like me who are in just desperate need for some cute and comfy PJs, check out Kindred Bravely. You can use code HUSTLE20 to save 20% off your purchase at kindredbravely.com. Some exclusions apply. You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Roman. And that's the end of the sentence. Now you might be like, what? Where's Evie? With Evie getting married in August this year and me going on maternity leave this fall, we thought it would be a super fun idea to split up some shows and make them truly solo, solo shows. So today you are just getting me, Lindsay, on the mic, and I'm going to be answering some questions on topics that make a little bit more sense for me as an individual to answer. So, yep, we are doing a motherhood, pregnancy, and business Q&A, and I'm stoked for it. So today I'm going to be answering all of your burning questions that you sent in to me on all things motherhood and entrepreneurship, how I plan my maternity leaves with business, parenting books I recommend, mom guilt and dealing with all of that, how I work with kids at home, and how to balance both motherhood and running a business without you know, going crazy. (laughs) So it's going to be a really good episode. One that I'm just so excited to talk with you. It's going to be great. We're just going to get deep and real and raw and just go there. You know, we're just diving off the deep end and we're talking all the things, mamahood and all of it. So without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast with Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman, two photographers turned entrepreneurs and founders of the Heart University. If you're a creative entrepreneur or a motivated dreamer wanting to make the most of your life, this podcast is for you. Each week, Evie and Lindsay bring you actionable tools to uplevel your business and life. So if you're ready to step up to the plate and pursue your God-given potential, you're in the right place. You're ready to live your life and run your business to its fullest? Then buckle up, because here are your hosts, Evie and Lindsay. All right, diving into the first question. This is so weird. Every We don't do solo shows like this very often, where it's like truly a solo show. Uh, it's weird just being alone and not having Evie to talk to. It's just... Weird. Anyways, okay. (laughs) All right. First question comes from Hannah. She says, I'm a virtual assistant and I'm pregnant with my first babe. First of all, Hannah, that's so exciting. I'm so stoked for you. Um, She says, how do you recommend prepping for time off after the baby? Um, And then I grouped this with another question from Jordan who asked, how do you plan for maternity leave? How long is your leave and what does it look like for you? Just because that's basically the same question. Um, So Hannah and Jordan. Okay. Let's answer this. Um, I think the first tip is to plan to take more time off than you think you need because, well, uh, perfect example, Eloise, I planned for a three-month maternity leave um, and I was almost a month past my due date. So whether or not the due date was wrong or my birth story is a whole other thing, but uh, I basically got a 2.5-month maternity leave. So I'm really glad that I planned for it, even though that wasn't like, the the goal was genuinely a three-month maternity leave. But Um, For this baby, that as you're listening to this, I think this comes out like mid-October. Like, I hope I have had the baby. I hope I am in labor right now. Or you know what? Even better, 
I had the baby last week. That would be prime. So when you're listening to this, I'm literally on maternity leave right now, which is kind of crazy. Um, but I'm planning on taking a full two months for this baby. I'm due early October and I'm going to be out of office basically until early December. And then even then just like slowly dipping my toe back into work, like throughout December. Um, just keeping it super minimal. So I think in general, what I found most helpful is to take or is to make sure that you don't have any like engagements or events on your calendar at least a month and a half before, or sorry, sorry, not a month and a half, half a month. (laughs) I'm already messing up my words. Uh, At least half a month before your due date. So for example, I'm due in early October. So I pretty much, my maternity leave for this baby low-key started mid-September. Because that's really when I was like, okay, just from the experience of Eloise and how I felt (laughs) like that last month, like, no, don't talk to me. Don't touch me. Don't look at me. Like that's how you pretty much feel at the very end of your pregnancy. And so, um, I, I pretty much stopped all coaching calls, all events. Like I don't have anything, um, on my calendar past mid September. And so that's what I would recommend uh, if you're able to, um, which usually you are because you have like nine months to plan for it. Ideally, usually again. <laughs> um, but, and then on the back end, I kind of said this already, but on the back end, um, I recommend at least two months if you can take it off, which as an entrepreneur, it's kind of weird because you, you kind of have the flexibility because you're your own boss, but you also at the same time, like maybe don't cause you're like, Oh, but money. And like, it's just like, it's fun being an entrepreneur, right? It's great. <laughs> Um, okay. So the things to think about when you're planning your maternity leave, breastfeeding, are you planning on breastfeeding? Are you planning on bottle feeding? Just something to keep in mind that like, you don't necessarily think about, especially if it's your, if your first baby, um, if you are doing a job that requires you to physically be away, like either physical labor or you're physically needing to be away from your baby, just keep that in mind. Because if you are breastfeeding, like one, getting the hang of it, the, like at all. <laughs> I would even say, I was about to say like for your first baby, but I mean, I don't know this cause I haven't had my second baby yet, but I've heard just from other moms that like every single baby is different. So like getting the hang of it could completely like, just because you've done it once doesn't mean that you're a pro because every baby's different. So just think about that, like breastfeeding, um, which I'm going to have a whole lot of thoughts for photographers specifically, just cause I know a lot of you listening are photographers, so hold tight. But breastfeeding, any travel commitments that you need to go to or have on your calendar, like I would just highly recommend not having anything unless you're bringing the baby with. But anything that you wouldn't be able to do with a baby, I would hold off for at least two months after your birth. Which is why I say three, because if you're late, then you're just losing your maternity leave time. Um, but okay, let's cover photographers real fast because I've got this question a lot. Um, and because photography, especially wedding photography, that's usually the, the thing that, uh, is the, the kicker of like not knowing when to take weddings again, once you have a baby, um, not knowing what to do because weddings get booked out so far in advance, how to even plan to have a baby beforehand. Uh, so this tip is specifically for photographers. Um, I would recommend stop shooting weddings at least a month before your due date. A month and a half, honestly, if you you could. And then on the back end, 
I would try not to do a big, big wedding for at least 2.5 to three months after your, after you birthed the baby. Um, and again, that's not to say you can't, uh, but just trust me on this one. I've like, I've heard so many horror stories of like people that try to shoot a wedding like two weeks before their due date, or they try to shoot a wedding because it's a dream client, like three weeks after they give birth. And I'm just like, it is not for, I don't care how, I don't care if there is a boho garden. I don't care if they wear a Gigi Pip hat. I don't care what kind of ideal client they are. It is not worth it. My friend put it down. It's fine. And I know it's scary because you're like, I won't get that dream client again. It's fine. It's fine. Just listen to me. (laughs) It's not worth it. Like just this, and this, this applies honestly to any like in-person service-based provider. It doesn't have to just be photographers, but that time right after baby is born is so freaking sacred. You will never get that back with that child. Is it worth like, it's just not, it's not, I'll just answer it for you. It's not, um, (laughs) So that's what I would recommend. The other thing I want to say before I move on to the next question is how to deal with, if you are a photographer, or even if you're in the wedding industry, just because wedding industry people usually book out in advance. Um, and, and specifically for photographers or like wedding planners, when you're there on the day of, like it's requiring a booking of your presence months or years in the future. Right. And so what do you do when you find out you're pregnant and you have weddings that fall in your due date or in in the in the basically the window of like five to six months that I basically just said, don't shoot anything. Um, well, and that wasn't six months. I can't do math, whatever. Um, what I recommend is before you announce it, like don't don't just get pregnant and then be like, okay, okay, great. Uh, I will announce it to the world before telling my couple. No, don't do that. So what I personally did, I didn't have to deal with this really hardly at all with this baby. I only have one wedding on September 4th that I wasn't able to do. But other than that one, uh, I really only had to deal with this with Eloise because that's when I was more of a full-time photographer and like really in the thick of it. And what I, it's ironic because we found out we were pregnant with Eloise in September of 2018. And literally, no, it was October of 2018. And I had like six weddings for the summer of 2019, which was right when she was due. And that was like all I had booked thus far of that year. And I couldn't do a single one of them, which was annoying. Um, (laughs) But what I did was I emailed all of my couples individually. And I basically went back to the contract that I have. So if you don't have this in your contract, make sure you do. But basically what happens in the event of a life or death emergency, which in this case, this falls under a life emergency, right? Um, And so what I recommend is making sure in your contract, you say exactly what's what's gonna happen. So for me, my contract said, hey, in the event of a life or death emergency, I will make sure that uh, there's an associate photographer that steps in in my place that you love, that uh, I trust to do the same job that I would do, blah, 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 blah. Um, So that's what I did. I basically told my couples I was pregnant that I I would not be able to shoot their wedding um, and that I gave them a couple of options, I believe, for associate shooters. I sent their galleries and I sent like their websites. Um, and it, I truly treated it like an associate shooter. I didn't treat it like, oh, here's your, all your money back. You can go hire someone else. Like, cause I was still their photographer. I still helped them plan all the way up until that wedding. I still edited the photos. The only difference was that just there was another person there on the day of. Um, and ironically I had 
an elopement in Kauai that literally happened while I was in labor. Like, God bless my associate, Sunny. She was, she handled it like a champ, but it was just funny. Like I edited those photos like two weeks later and I like the couple understood that they were not going to get sneak peeks like the day after, but still it was great. Anyways, um, basically I know no one wants to be like the bearer of bad news. You don't want to like be, take that email and be like, I can't shoot your wedding. Like no one, it's not fun, but it's, people aren't going to understand. Like having babies is a part of life and it's a beautiful part of life. And in my opinion, like don't hold off having a family just because you're a wedding photographer that feels like you can never like stop the hamster wheel, right? Like you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. So that's what I have to say for photographers specifically. All right. Next question comes from Danica. She says, before you got pregnant each time, did you consider that you could be feeling really sick and that your workload may have to change before maternity leave or the obvious when the baby comes? If so, how did you prepare in your business for that before you got pregnant? So short answer is no, I did not, uh, prepare, uh, or have the luxury to think that far ahead. Um, and it wasn't that we were like intentionally planning each pregnancy. We just weren't preventing it. So obviously like we were in a season of wanting to grow our family in general, both times. Um, and just like, you know, not stopping it, (laughs) but I, I have so many thoughts on this, honestly. Like you just, you truly don't know how your pregnancy will be, right? Like yeah, you, unless you've been pregnant like in the past and you just know every single time you are like vomiting, but you don't even know that if it's your first kid, right? Until that happens. Like you could be sick, you could not be. So in all honesty, my workloads for both pregnancies throughout the majority of their pregnancy, of my pregnancy, it didn't really change at all with either of my pregnancies. The only thing I did was that once I knew I was pregnant, I stopped booking gigs and events about a month or so before my due date and then after to account for my turn, maternity leave, which I already talked about a ton before. Um, and I think unless you're like hyper planning out when you want to have children, it's it's super hard to plan your workload for during pregnancy before it happens. Because what happens is that you put so much pressure on yourself to get pregnant at like a specific time. And then if it doesn't happen when you want or your, you know, your timeline screwed up, or if you get pregnant when you weren't expecting it, your timeline is still screwed up. So it's like, I think there's just so much pressure put on women to like plan these perfect maternity leaves and like plan their work around it. And like, it just, it's so much pressure to try to organize your professional life like as far as like bookings or or events or things like that around your pregnancy. So my advice is to like live your life, be a great business owner, book your clients like normal, book events like normal. And then when you do get pregnant and then start planning from there, that's when I would start dealing with the timeline and stuff at that point. You're gonna have to probably cancel events. You're gonna have to cancel or reschedule things. Like that's gonna happen. But I think that's better than trying to hyper analyze your life and hyper structure your life in a way that like, oh, okay, okay, I'm gonna get pregnant right now this month and then I won't book anything in the next nine months. Okay, great, okay. And then like, if you can't get pregnant that month, it, it's just so much pressure and you don't need pressure when you're trying to get pregnant. Like you need some relaxation. Like that just doesn't need to be in the, in the you know, planning of it. Um, however, I will say on the flip side, like the opposite end of that, if you are in a general season of knowing you're trying to have kids and grow your family in the next couple of years, but not like hyper-focusing on like, it will happen this month. But just in general, like you're in a season of like, hey, we want to start growing our family in the next five years. This is like when we want to have start having kids. That's what I would work on actually trying to implement like 
hiring team members, outsourcing, getting your workflow and automations down, and then work on scaling back so that you personally aren't the one that's tied to every single freaking thing in your business. And that like, that's actually, I think, good prep that you can do before even trying to have kids. Like work on getting your business to a place where if you leave for a few months, it can run without you. That's the goal. I think just like not living in that hustle mentality and that hustle culture, especially if you are in a season of wanting to scale back, wanting to grow a family. Um, that's what I would really focus on is just like automations, workflows, just trying to scale yourself back in a sense of like, you don't have to have every single arm in every single part of your business. Like that's just not the case. All right. Next question. It comes from Rachel. She says, did you read any books that helped you be ready to have children? So I could take this question one of two ways. I'll take it both ways. Um, because if you mean like ready logistically, once I knew I was pregnant and like ready, just like, Oh, how do I birth? How do I sleep train? Like, how do I parent like that? I have books for you. But if you mean like ready, as far as like mentally prepared to just open up my life in, in like, and, and go through the fear of like, okay, now it's the season of having kids. That book would just be the Bible. <laughs> if I'm just being a hundred percent honest, I don't think there's a book out there that can prepare you mentally to be like, okay, I'm done with the single season of my life or not single, but like I'm done with the no kid season of my life. And now I'm ready to be a mom. I'm ready to have kids, especially if you're like me or like I was where I was petrified of having children. I did not want children so much to the point that I just like said over and over and over again, I don't have a mothering bone in my body. I want to focus on my dreams and my career. No, kids ruin it all. Like I was so in that mindset. And the only thing that got me out of that mindset was literally surrendering my life to the Lord and being like, your dreams and your vision for my life are more important than me and, and my selfish dreams. And what is funny is when you did that or when I did that, like uh, he gives me everything that I could have ever imagined and freaking more because God's like that and he loves us. Um, so if, if, if you're talking about like, if you're, what books helps you be ready to have children in the sense of like ready as far as life releasing and that the Bible, a hundred percent, get your quiet time with Jesus. That will help a lot. But if you actually mean in this question, logistically like books that helped you parent and birth and, and all that, then yes, I have the answer to that. So uh, for birth, I read Natural Childbirth, The Bradley Way by Susan McCutcheon. I don't know how to say her last name, but I will link this book in the show notes. Um, and we were going for a home birth with Eloise and I, I kind of had a home birth kind of, and then I went to the hospital and then had a C-section. So I had like every single freaking kind of birth imaginable with Eloise. But uh, that book, regardless of if you're having a home birth or if you're just trying to have it in a hospital, but if you want to do a home birth or not, sorry, if you just want to have a birth uh, in naturally um, without epidural, or even if you do want to have an epidural, but you want it delayed and you just want to like know how to work through contractions, that book was incredible. So I cannot recommend that enough for actual birth. Um, and then after birth, I think so many women focus on learning and educating themselves on birth because it's like the scary thing, right? Um, but then so many people focus on that, which lasts like what, a day or two? In my case, four days, but we won't harbor on those details. <laughs> um, that they forget that like, okay, birth is going to come and then it's going to be done. 
And then you're going to have an infant and you're going to be like, what the heck do I do? I don't know how to take care of this. So I think a lot of people focus more on the birth education than like parenting education or just like, how do I deal with a newborn education? Um, And so for that book, I literally want to stream this book from the rooftops, Baby Wise by Robert Bookman and Gary Ezzo. Now, before you get in a tizzy fit and you come at me and DM me and say, Lindsay, that is controversial. That book is bad. I don't know where that grandma voice just came from, but that's, wow. Sassy Lindsay came to play today. Okay. Um... (laughs) I just, I've shared this book on my stories before, and I've just got some passionate people that uh, take wild events to that book. Yet every single person that has ever deemed me that said, like, how dare you? This is an awful book, has never read it. So that should tell you something. Um, but uh, it's Baby Wise is for sleep training, and it helps. It helped us. I cannot even tell you. Eloise was sleeping through the night by six weeks old. Six weeks old. I'll, that's just, proof in the pudding. Like, I'm sorry. I like my sleep. I like my sleep. It does not make you a bad mom to want sleep. Anyways, read it. Like we're going to literally reread it before this baby comes because it's that good. And I feel like it was two years ago that we slept, slept trained, sleep, slept. How do you, words, sleep trained. (laughs) Uh, And I feel like I forgot everything. So anyways, um, and then the other book that I would recommend that we literally just read like a month ago, because she's two, is Oh Crap Potty Training by Jamie Glowacki. So obviously that's not for infants, but that's more toddler uh, age. Um, and that was incredible. I love that book. And we followed it to a T and she was potty trained in like two days. So that's what I would recommend. All right, moving on. <laughs> Hey friend, are you a hat girl like us? Well, if you've ever seen a photo of us, pretty much ever, we are almost always wearing a hat on because we love accessorizing any outfit and making it cuter with a good hat. Like literally add any hat to any outfit and it is a thousand times cuter and better. So if you've ever seen us wearing a hat, I can guarantee you it was 100% a Gigi Pip hat. In fact, the hats we're wearing in this podcast cover, yeah, they're Gigi Pip. Gigi Pip is inspired by women who wear many hats and their quality and style is literally insane. It's why we choose them over any hat company because their styles are so cute and their quality is next level. We love them to death. So if you want to grab a hat yourself, we have a little treat for you. You can shop Gigi Pip hats using the link in the show notes to receive free shipping with our code heart and hustle. That's all lowercase and with no spaces. If you're ready to see your confidence boosted and look cute as heck, grab a Gigi Pip hat today. I have a question for you. Okay. Do you create so much content you often feel stuck? Uh-huh. Between blog posts, Instagram captions, free recreation, email campaigns, there is so much writing, right? Freaking yes. I've definitely been there and I know how frustrating it can be to feel like you have nothing to talk about. So if you're consistently staring at a blank screen and blinking cursor, we wanted to give you an entirely free guide we just created for you. Guys, our content creation guide is pages of content ideas that you can use to write meaningful captions, blog posts, and more that connect with your ideal audience and create that value and trust that's so vital in order to sell successfully. You can use our ideas directly. There are dozens of them that you can immediately pull from, or you can use them to trigger new ideas for your content creation process. This freebie is so jam-packed that Lindsay and I even go back and reference it when we feel stuck. It that good, fam. If you're sick of not posting or creating any content because your brain feels empty every time you step up to the plate, 
um, the keyboard, then we got you. Bye-bye writer's block. Hello, value-filled content. Go to www.theheartuniversity.com slash content or click the link in the show notes. Now go kick some butt and create some content. All right. Courtney asks how to avoid mom guilt and feel like you're giving your toddler enough attention. I feel so bad sometimes when my mind is thinking about my business, even though I'm with my little girl, but I do feel so grateful to have a job where she doesn't need to go to daycare, et cetera. Okay. Courtney, this is a question. So I, first of all, it's so relatable. I feel like every single mom deals with mom guilt in, in some capacity or another. So first off, you're not alone, but I want to hit on the part. Don't feel bad for thinking of your business when you're with your baby. Or don't feel bad for having an idea pop into your head about your business in any aspect of life. Like, that's just honesty. Like, we think about things while we're doing other things all the time, right? Like, that's a part of the human brain. And in my opinion, that's normal. Um, Obviously, if it's to the point where you're, like, so consumed with your thoughts that you aren't even paying attention to your child, okay, then yeah, maybe, like, let's try to fix that. Let's try to, like, back up and see what we could do. But... If you're spending time with your daughter and an Instagram caption idea pops into your brain, or maybe you have an idea for a client gift or an email campaign, just write it down real fast or make a voice message in your notes or or whatever, and then get back to playing. Like, you don't need to feel guilty for that. Like, that's just my perspective on that. Um, However, I would say my other advice is to have dedicated time where you are just truly 100% playing with her and other times where where you are 100% working. Because if you're constantly trying to like balance both and then doing both at the same time, I just, you're going to feel like you're giving each of those things 50% of yourself, right? Like, and you don't want to feel that way. So something that helps me is implementing office hours. Um, And so if you can do that, implement office hours. Um, And if you can't implement office hours, like for example, if you're a stay-at-home mom and you're just trying to do your business and your spouse does not work at home and you have the kids like all day, every day, then it's like, I get it. You're like, I can't do office hours. Um, So if you can't, use the times that she's napping to check out an hour of work um, and plan that in advance so you don't waste the first like 30 minutes trying to figure out what to do during that nap and then you've wasted 30 minutes of the nap, right? Been there. (laughs) made that mistake, um, or do your work at night when she's down for the evening or in the morning. Sometimes you got to get up early and just make it happen or maybe get a babysitter or daycare for just like one day a week and then chuck out all your deep work on that day. Um, that's what I would recommend. That's what I do. And I obviously have a situation where Andrew is able to watch Eloise, especially now that he's out of the Coast Guard. Um, so, and I know that's not everybody's situation. Um, and that wasn't my situation either when he was in the Coast Guard. Granted, when she was littler, it was a little bit easier to work simultaneously with her. But now that she's two, I'm just like, oh, yikes, you are a lot in the best way possible, but you are a lot. Um, <laughs> and so I think it is genuinely like straight up helpful when you have help from a spouse or your family or daycare. Um, But I think there are still ways that you can make it work, even if it's just you watching your kid, just implementing those boundaries. Um, And then that actually really seamlessly goes into the next question, which is from Katie, which she says, how do you manage to work with kids at home? Do you have a sitter with the kids? I feel like anytime I'm trying to do something or learn something new, I can't think clearly because there's always a kid that interrupts in some way or just simply I'm not being able to, to fully focus. So... I feel like this goes so hand in hand just with Courtney's question. Um, It's just, it's so similar, but it's straight up hard to work with kids at home. If you are like the one that's responsible for watching them. Like if Andrew's watching Eloise, yeah, I can work at home all day, every day in my office. I shut the door. Great. But if like, I'm the one that's 
responsible for her care. And I'm also trying to work. Deep work is just like absolutely impossible. So here are my tips. One, plan your week in advance every Sunday before your work week starts. So figure out what needs to get done in your business and when, and then set the times that you're going to do that deep work. And again, like I said in the last question, so like, even if it has to be the mornings before your kid wakes up, which I know, I know that might be 4 a.m. Straight up. Sometimes you got to do it. Um, Or during nap time or at night. Or if you have a spouse who can help, like I said, or a sitter or daycare, then yes, plan for those. And then align the hours that you have a sitter come with the hours that you took out the deep work for your business. And when you take that time on those Sunday evenings or daytimes or whatever, just like before the week starts to actually plan what you need to do in advance, because that's the key is like, just like I said, when nap time starts, that's not when you need to be sitting there like, okay, what am I going to do now? It's like, no, no, no. When nap, the second you put them down for nap time, that is when work starts and you need to already have a game plan of what you're doing because otherwise you're wasting the precious, precious hours that they're napping. Um, Okay, the next tip I would say is work on teaching your kids self-play. So we're really intentional about trying to teach Eloise, Elo, wow, I said her name weird. What is wrong with me? Eloise to not always rely on us every second of the day for her personal entertainment, which two-year-olds tend to like to do. Um, <laughs> so we've been trying to teach her to play in her room for like 20 to 30 increments or longer. And it that's been huge. Um, but I will say when we do do that, we try to first fill her love tank. So what I mean is like give your kids undivided attention for 30 minutes or more, like play with them, be with them, read to them, all the things, right? Like fill their love tank, hug them, you know, give them your undivided attention. And then after be like, okay, now go to your play in your room for 30 minutes. Um, that way, or whatever time that you want to do. And then explain like, hey, mom's going to crank out some work uh, while you play and I need you to play by yourself, okay? And obviously, this is probably easier with multiple kids. I'll let you know how that goes when I have another kid. But uh, right now, like, I feel like it's almost the hardest when you have one because it's like they're really, truly being taught to play by themselves. Uh, But I think that's a great skill to learn. And I think kids should learn it of like how to entertain themselves. That's just a great skill. So I I think you're going to have better success of that happening if you actually first fill their love tank. Um, okay. And then the last one that falls under this tip, it's, it's not a tip that directly relates to this question. However, I think it has helped Eloise be able to self-play like a ton. Um, but something that's helped us immensely is we have never given Eloise screens. Like, so we've never given her an iPad. We've never, like, we just don't have TVs in our home. And if we do, it's in our bedroom or like we use our laptops, but we typically don't have a TV like out in the living space. Um, we don't shove our phones in her face and put on like kid YouTube or whatever. Um, and this is coming from a zero place of judgment. It just, it was something intentional that we really wanted to do before we even had Eloise. And I thought it would be harder, but just, it's weird because like you don't, if you just never introduce a phone or, or a screen to them in the first place, it it doesn't become like a crutch, like more almost for us than her. Like we've just put books in front of her. Like we've told her to do other things. Like there's just other things that you can do. And so if you never introduce screens in the first place, I think that becomes a lot easier than like introducing screens and then trying to take them away. That's probably, I would imagine, hard, but I don't really have anything to compare it to because again, we've never uh, given her them in the first place. But she's just 
I, I can already tell. I mean, again, I don't have anything to compare this to, but just even from seeing other kids of like how they interact just from like, oh, okay, they can't self-play or it's harder for them to self-play. Um, I just, I look at her and I see how smart and imaginative and playful she is. And I truly think being screen-free has had a huge effect on that. And just like her ability to listen to instructions and play by herself and read books to herself. Like she loves books. And I just, I love that. And I love that she can just entertain herself outside so easily. And so I think that obviously that's not, that's like a tip that kind of is, it helps self-play. So it kind of leads into that other tip. But anyways, that's what I gotta say. (laughs) All right. The last question comes from Amy. This is a really good question. She says, how do you discern the line of burnout slash personal slash family neglect and the straight up hustle? At what point do you continue on? And at what point do you have to say, this is happening at a rate that doesn't fit with my heart and family. I need to readjust. And what does the readjustment look like? That is such a good question. And while this podcast is called the Heart and Hustle Podcast, we here at the Heart and Hustle Podcast do not believe in hustle culture whatsoever. Uh, The reason we titled this podcast, even having the word hustle in it, is because without pairing it with heart, it's, it will destroy you. Like hustle is just, just, what is, what is the word I'm trying to think of? Destructive? Sure. We'll go with that. Um, (laughs) to answer this question though, I would say, ask yourself what your purpose for doing what you're doing is. So like, maybe it's like, did you start your business? Do you give yourself the freedom to work wherever and be with your family, right? Like, why did you start your business? Why did you do whatever you're doing that's now leading to the hustle? Like, what was the original intent with that? Um, And then do your actions of hustle and your current reality match your goal of why you started in the first place? Because if it doesn't, ask yourself why. Like, where did your, like, compass re-navigate to? Um, Because I can tell you right now, like, the hustle is not worth it. It does not matter. When it comes at the expense of your family or your mental health and your life, like, nope. It's nope, it's not worth it at all. And so I think some advice I would give is to implement boundaries starting now. Um, if you do find yourself in that season of hustle and you're like, I I can tell my family's being neglected, neglect, I can't talk, Lord, neglected? There we go. Um, and you just, you can feel that in your spirit, like implement boundaries. And so when I say that, I mean like shut off your phone when you're with your family. Um, keep your computer and your phone in your office. And when five o'clock hits or whatever time, like set a time where work is done, leave those in that room. Like you don't need your phone at night when you're with your family having dinner. You don't. I know like your kid might be doing something cute and you want to story it. Don't, don't (laughs) like set that boundary. Um, another one that I think is huge for entrepreneurs is email. Um, say you get an email at 7 PM at night and you're with your family eating dinner or playing with your kid, just because a client emails you at 7 p.m. does not mean you have to answer it when you're in the middle of family time, right? Like that client can freaking wait until 9 a.m. the next day. And if that stresses you out that that you're making them wait, it probably means that you might've let that boundary slide a little bit too far and that your clients have become accustomed to it. Especially like if there's, cause there's some, there are some clients out there, y'all that like, they'll text you at seven. And then maybe if you don't respond, they'll text you again at eight, maybe not. But like, you know, <laughs> there's some people that, that if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. Right. And so you have to almost retrain your clients. If, if you find yourself in this position to 
re interact with you or like redefine the boundaries of how your personal life and your work intersect. Um, so something that is helpful is you could put office hours in your email signature and then something else, especially I know a lot of people that are service-based providers deal with this. If a client texts you and you want to implement that boundary, like say that's something that like, okay, you're with your family and you didn't keep your phone in your office and it's with you on the couch uh, and your clients are texting you and you feel obligated to text immediately back, like set up a boundary. So when they text you, ignore that text and respond to their question via email, stating and reminding them that, hey, this is your personal work-life boundary and that you keep client communication to email like during, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five or whatever it is, um, or Slack or or just like client communication. Like just make that boundary very clear. Um, or if you are fine with text, which I just wouldn't recommend texting with clients in general. Um, but if, if that is something that you do want to do, then still communicate that like, hey, if you text me in the evenings or if you text me on a weekend, I will not respond until the next business day. Like as long as that's established in advance or in, in before you kind of start working together, then that's where like expectations won't get dropped. Or, or you know, like just again, just a, a nice, just gentle rerouting to like really put in that firm boundary. Um, cause I think when you put up boundaries and you stick to them, people will respect them. Like, and if they don't, they're not your clients. Like, okay. Like if people can't respect your boundaries, especially as a business owner, then like they're expecting too much from you in my opinion. So that's what I would say is implement boundaries when you feel like the hustle is getting too much and take a step back, like really focus on your why. Because if you got into business, and, and it's for money or, or it's for like the freedom to run your own business so that you can be with your family, then like, remember that why remember that like, what's most important at the end of the day, it's not more clients. It's not more money. It's your family. It is your personal mental health. It's your sanity. It's like the fact that you are living a life that you love. And that should be uh, top priority over the hustle any day, every day. So y'all, that's my questions. That's all I had. Okay, great. This is fun. This was fun. I really liked that. That was so much fun. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> I have another solo show coming up with just me where I'm going to... This was like questions really focused on maternity leave, pregnancy, motherhood, parenting, all of that. Um, I have I had a lot of questions that got submit, submitted to me. So I have another Q&A episode coming up that is uh, a little bit more broader, not just like motherhood questions, but a lot more personal ones. It's like we talked about like, uh, our house renovation, our Florida land, like fun stuff like that. So that one will be a little more personable or personal and fun, but that's coming in a few weeks. So if you're listening to this, send me a prayer. Cause hopefully I've had given birth and I'm in newborn land. Uh, hopefully I'm getting sleep maybe. Um, <laughs> But if you loved this episode, please leave a five-star review. Genuinely, it means the world to us and it helps us out with this podcast just a ton. And if you just get so much value through, from it, um, it genuinely is just a really great way to give us feedback and help us get this podcast out to even more eyes and ears. Eyes, I don't know what, you don't look at a podcast, whatever. Uh, anyways, and if you loved it, please share it on social media. Tag me at Mrs. Lindsay Roman and at The Heart University. Um, and if you want us to do, uh, to split up some more solo shows like this, where it's just Evie or it's just me, let us know. Um, and we can do that in the future, especially like when our schedules 
are like opposite. Like right now she's basically getting married and in a, like a month, I'm going to be give, having a baby. So it'll be great. Um, so if you like these separate solo shows, let us know. And I hope you're having a great day. You're fantastic. You're killing it. You're crushing it. And go out there and have a freaking fantastic day, my friend. I will see you on the next episode.